From multiple complicated locations in Minneapolis or near enough, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, guest host Holly Harrison joins your nice hosts to discuss fail states and world building. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Holly's back. Holly's back. Excitement. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back, Holly. It's you. It's been so long. Hello. You, you, when you come to the show, you leave it with so much energy that it, it nourishes us for a very long time. And <laughs> <laughs> that's like, and, that's amazing. Like, and, as an introvert. <laughs> and then we sit around and we like, like, you know, because it starts to wane after a long, long time. And we're like, why does it yep. not feel as like loving and joyous around here? And it's like, yep. well, we haven't had Holly in a while. And we're like, we haven't had Holly in a while. <laughs> <laughs> and then we work to fix that. And we've done it now. Welcome back, Holly. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's always such a joy. Congratulations on recently passing 200 episodes. Yeah, exciting Thank stuff. You. Yeah, this is the one of the 200 in numbers. I don't remember. <laughs> is it 201? It's probably 201. It's probably 201. <laughs> Steven says it's 201. So dear listener, when you check this on the website and it's not, you now know who to blame. <laughs> yeah, basically. And I feel like Steven's right because I don't think we've done a hundred additional episodes between. Oh now. yeah, we're not on three hundred and one, is all no. right. No. If it's between those, that's good. Good point. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. You cast a wide net. It's in the two hundreds. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> well, Holly, independent of the the timing of having you back on the show, you just started a new project. So it ended up being fortuitous. It's not why we have you here. We have you here because we love you and we always want you here. But uh, <laughs> let's hear about this. Yeah. Oh, it was actually, I was talking to Steven last night and I was like, uh, oh, shoot, do I need to bring a to topic? And Steven was like, no, but if you want to, you can. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I, I'm not ready to talk about anything. And then I remembered. Um, okay. So I started a video game culture feed called Lobby. So you can find it on Instagram and Twitter. Um, the handle is Join Lobby, um, and yeah, that's what that is. It's just a feed devoted to kind of analytical, progressive, scrappy parts of video game culture. Um, born out of, I used to manage social media accounts with Glitch um, locally here in the Twin Cities, and noticed that what really kind of always caught on were um, curating games industry news content and like posting punchy graphics that responded to hot button issues or highlighting the words of disruptive leaders. Um, and at Glitch, I, I had a hunch that that content would work really well for our audience. And I was right. Um, the posts par far outperformed their counterparts often in the same period. Um, and so while I was looking on um, after leaving Glitch and trying to figure out how to stay involved in the games community, no matter where my next full-time job took me or freelancing took me, um, I I started this lobby just in September. Um, yeah, so that's that. I love so much about it, but what I love in particular is that it's it welcomes everybody, but it has a point of view. Mm -hmm. And I think that's yeah. something that all games media should should uh, strive for. Yeah, it's been um, it, it's nice being able to have an outlet, however like small and startupy right now it is, um, to be able to talk about things that I know are being like um, spoken about in certain corners of the games industry, but not getting like mainstream media pickup. 
yeah. uh, mainstream games media pickup of course there's a difference um <laughs> but at the same time every like every once in a while i post something and i'm like well there goes your opportunity to work at any of those companies <laughs> um <laughs> um even though i feel like it's important to talk about um yeah there's there's that well also the more that that kind of discussion becomes common and safe for people to have the more likely it is that a company like that will hire someone who has criticized them because one, there's so many, but also because it's healthy part of the conversation, right? right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. For lots of reasons, good and bad, Ubisoft is in the news right now. Mm -hmm. um, right. And a post I did recently, I just, I, uh, when earlier this summer, when people were, when news was breaking all over again, um, about lots of, uh, like sexual misconduct and toxic cultures within video game companies ubisoft was one of the big ones mm -hmm. um and to their credit as far as i can tell um at least through what media they've been releasing they're doing a lot to change it um i mean and that's like what their pr team is putting out and um everything's going to be imperfect but i um long story long recently i i read a ton of of reviews of assassin's creed uh valhalla mm -hmm. um and listed out which which main um media sources mentioned even just one sentence um the like misconduct issues at ubisoft and which ones just skipped over it mm. um and and that's that kind of thing that i think is important and it's important yeah. um the the argument that lots of people make to step around it is like hundreds of people work on these games and most of them are good lovely people this is their livelihoods and we need to consider that when we talk about games but i think one way to like to make sure those people are happy and well looked after is to make sure that the place that they work at is working on their issues. So um, anyway, that's like, <laughs> that was, that was fun to look into and fun to post. And at the same time as I was like, well, I'm a, I'm a little baby feed and not many people follow me yet. So like no one's going to notice. I always like, I put the thing out there being like, Ooh, well, <laughs> don't don't like <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. don't yell at me i mean actually no i'm like down to debate like uh just reply guys at any time but or just to block them but at the same time i'm like ubisoft don't look at this i really like some of your accessibility work and yeah yeah <laughs> and reading all those valhalla reviews made me sad that i feel like ethically i can't play it because uh, <laughs> it sounds like a great game good job okay bye <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder if it's yeah. a sign of progress that we're starting to uh, treat a lot of these big companies more um, with more depth, like that there's good and bad and that's starting to it's starting to make us all conflicted. But that's good. Right. Yeah, because the like the well-known saying idiom thing is that there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. Right. right? So, yeah. <laughs> but like so it's important to know how like which of your ethics you're putting aside when you're when you're buying something and what you're yeah it, it, like it's hard to buy a cell phone that's not made with like slave labor which is absolutely terrible mm -hmm. but it's yeah. good to know that that's happening um yeah rather than being like well it's bad what are we supposed to do about it yeah if you're, yeah. If you're just trying to put things in neat dichotomies then that's bad right um, it's a it's like the entire plot of the good place well, yep. like the late the late seasons <laughs> um, 
And they're like, there's no way to get into heaven because everything is, you can't buy a tomato without hurting someone. Yeah. Some yeah. Yep. <laughs> anyway, uh, the crux of lobby isn't just lighting up games companies. So that was just a real <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, There's more than that. That's just a yeah. nice side benefit of it. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's also, you know, reposting people's best tweets and uh, talking about how games can be self-care, but also like can scientifically be used as therapy, like in in offices and also like at home. And um, yeah, it's been it's been a fun time just kind of feeling things out. And it's just in its baby stages. I decided to make it an Instagram first um, platform, which is weird because games is so twitter focused but so far that's mm-hmm. been paying off because i actually get some interaction on instagram whereas on twitter i'm just like hello void i have a new post <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it just gets swept downstream with all the tons of other twitter water yeah <laughs> i also think there's an unprecedented number of people taking breaks from twitter right now at least it feels that way and like my own yeah feed that everyone's like i can't do this <laughs> you know when we recorded the 200th episode in our last recording session we we it was just two days before the election and now we're mm-hmm. uh, uh past a week past uh it being called in fact which was a half a week past the actual election so and you yeah. can tell we're all a little chill right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's we're not as high strung as maybe it could have been and, and maybe you know why right yeah. and which is wild because we're like watching like unprecedented thing unprecedented things happening with like small d dem- democracy yeah and like a coup attempt but we're like it's fine like everything's gonna be okay right it's the t- yeah. ultimately objectively it's the tiniest amount of good news <laughs> but we'll take it <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah. But like within 24 hours, Alex Trebek died. And it's like, can we not oh, have one day? Yeah. Holy have why? A good day in 2020. No. Like, I had suppressed that from my mind for a second. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's move on to new news. <laughs> Mar- well, hold on. Before we Wait, first, on. let's list all the good people who've died this year. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> but let's let's put about because the thing about lobby is it 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 talks about real things, but it's also such yeah. a joy to to consume. I think that's the main yeah, thing yeah. is whatever impression you yep. get from the the depth we've been talking about it, it is so much fun to follow. So I I definitely recommend it. And before we move on from it, Holly, let's let's put out those handles again. Yeah, it's um all the platforms that matter. Just kidding. It's Instagram and Twitter. It's uh, at join lobby. Brilliant. Cool. Um. Uh, okay. So. Who's gotten the new consoles? Uh, I'm oh. raising my hand over here. <laughs> okay. That's and one hand. Else? Yeah. <laughs> anyone? Uh, of the you four learn. of us, the fact that I got, got my hands on the next-gen consoles is actually a really high success rate. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Dang, that's sad. Uh, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if any of you were trying to, like, you know, uh, uh, F5 uh, till your finger fell off uh, on pre-orders. Um, <laughs> but I sort of was. I, I wasn't, like... Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I put about as much effort into it as as I thought was comfortable. It, it didn't take too okay. much time out of my day, but I was yeah. kind of like I had a bunch of tabs open and I was, you know, all the retailers and stuff. And I missed the pre-orders for the PlayStation 5 when it was sprung on everybody uh, back yeah. when. Um, and that bummed me out because that's the one I was most interested in from like a um, a platform design perspective. Like the thing about the mm-hmm. Xbox is like it, the technology is just it's it's Xbox, but more. And it's like, yeah. that's good, but it's hard to get excited about that, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but the PlayStation scene, one, it's the ugliest console ever made. And that's exciting. <laughs> and <laughs> I, w- I just wanted to get a look at it with my own eyes. Um, you know, if for no other reason. Oh, no. 
but no all of the new like they're they have a bunch of new ideas in terms of how they like uh how you the ux of playing games um and then of course their their solid state drive is supposedly it's custom um uh hardware that is not just a solid state drive it's actually quite got quite a lot going on and sony's first party studios are making a specific effort to take advantage of it the new spider-man game uh the new ratchet and clank game is really going to leverage this idea of like passing quickly through multiple uh fast loading uh, environments it's something a yeah. sonic game is 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 uh, uh begging for in fact um oh, but yeah. uh anyways so i missed that that there and then um i just happened because my sleep schedule is very unpredictable i happened to be mm-hmm. working really late uh on the monday the uh, or the i guess it was wednesday before the playstation uh came out the the thursday the 12th is when it was released um, and the, and like the Twitter account Wario sixty four that people who have been looking for pre-orders <laughs> know this account s- yeah. seems to always have has the uh, the four one one on what retailers have what, um, which is so I just followed that kept that going refreshed it a while and I was working on some uh, a, a project and then every half hour I would just refresh everything to see what had happened and I actually just got lucky there were these like five minute windows like seven or eight times through the night where they were available to retail and then gone three minutes later. And it just happened wow. that I, I just happened to, uh, and it was, uh, it was Target. It just happened to my hat, my th- every 30 minute refresh just happened to be during one of those windows. And it, I was like utterly shocked. And, it, and I, I just, <laughs> it was already four in the morning. And so yeah. <laughs> you're in a buying mood. And I was, uh, and so I, so I just stayed up till seven and then went and picked it up. So it was just, so anyway, I got myself PlayStation five yeah. and um, I got Dale a, an Xbox. I just got the pre-orders on that when when they went back when. So I feel other than fitting them into my entertainment center, uh, <laughs> I've been very pleased to have them. Um, but um, I, I can give you my impressions of both. Um, the Xbox is interesting because it. I mean, like I said before, it is just another Xbox, and like yeah. w- your opinion on that uh, is dep- It really depends on how you feel about how uh, should consoles be more like PCs. Or should consoles be more like appliances, right? And those are really broad definitions. But um, and uh, I, I'm I'm happy with either definition. I guess I suppose if your budget is limited and if you're not as professionally interested as I am, um, then then that choice is maybe a, a challenge for people. But I like I like sort of both approaches. I think they're both sort of smart. I like that both the companies are doing different things. I think that's cool um, because they can compete and and uh, um, and one up each other on certain categories. But they can also innovate in other categories, so that's pretty exciting. And then you got Nintendo over there just eating their lunch, uh, doing its own thing. <laughs> yep. But the Xbox is weird because there is not a single um, exclusive game for the new Xbox, not one, um, mm. which is very oh, strange. Yeah. The uh, Xbox in or um, Halo Infinite was supposed to come out at launch, but even that was going to be on on Xbox One also. Um, and that's good, right? Like you don't want to abandon a, a large console base or a customer base uh, right away, but you do also want to have a showcase products to move units, right? And so right. It, it's a very strange approach. And I don't know how much of that is the fact that this year has been difficult for people to put out products as well as the video game industry has been doing in 2020. And it's been doing very well uh, compared to other mm-hmm. industries. And it's kind of obvious why. Uh, it's still hard to work in these times. And so lots of stuff mm-hmm. has been delayed. Um, for that reasons and and, and other reasons, um, but it's, I don't know. It's just there's no exclusive games, and so you kind of just uh, you can play some game. They load a little faster, I guess. It's like it's unless you're measuring it for Digital Foundry. Like I don't know, I don't know the real world benefit of that. And it really kind of sold me on the idea that the Xbox Series S, the smaller one, the one that's two ninety nine, 
Um, yeah. uh, I was not convinced that that had a lot of value. It doesn't have a disk drive, so you have to buy only games directly from Microsoft. But in a world where I would rather people just buy indie games most of the time, that's all. It's the only place you can buy indie games. So, um, mm. so that yeah. seems okay by me. Um, and um, the fact that like it is still that console is the baby Xbox, but it's still more powerful than the most powerful the last generation, and it's really cheap. So if you want to get if you want to get into that platform, if you want to get Game Pass and get all those games. If you like, it is it's a really good way to get into console gaming and not have to worry about like upgrading a big PC or whatever. Um, so I think that's a great approach, and it's way different from what PlayStation is doing. Right. I Where, have a note on that. Yeah. Um, uh, there was a good piece a while back um, in October in IGN Middle East that was specifically about how cheaper next-gen consoles calling out the Xbox Series S could change the industry workforce mm. and talking about how, mm. like, um, specifically all this data out of the UK, plus anecdotally what you just know about games industry jobs not paying super well and also being uh, usually concentrated in places where uh, cost of living is really high, mm. that, like, just high console prices cut people out of the hobby and they and they've always been expensive especially when you adjust for inflation like the atari 5200 at launch today would be like 700 dollars. Yeah. yeah um um so like 299 is not pocket change but it's a lot less steep than what we're used to which mm -hmm. could allow more people like across the economic spectrum more kids with working class parents to be able to play games see games as a career and maybe um yeah enter the industry whereas right now it's really clear that at, at least the data that's coming out of the uk it's like more than half grew up in households where the main earner was like middle class managerial role mm -hmm. and like 81 percent of them have undergrad degrees like mm -hmm. um it's coming from a place of lots of like economic privilege mm -hmm. um yeah and so one path to getting a more diverse games industry is this cheaper little console yeah that, that's really really yeah. interesting because i think one of the things that we've talked about on the show before is like games are too cheap because we're coming at it from the developer perspective, which yeah. is a, it's oppressive to developers because you need to make that up on volume, which means you have to right. design games for the masses, which means you have to you have to work, you have to market harder to sell more copies. You can't make a, a profit with a niche audience as, as much as you could in the past, perhaps. But it is interesting yeah. to hear that, like the the especially with something like Game Pass, which does worry me a little bit if people expect to pay just a little bit a month for games and then never and then they don't do any of the discovery themselves that worries me quite mm -hmm. a bit but if it gets more people if it grows the pie right it gets more yeah. people in the in right. and and the, the angle you were talking about gets them interested in the industry um that goes a long way towards like making it kind of worth the trouble that is also there yeah right it's everything has the good side and bad side but yeah like yeah, yeah, yeah this is the first time i mean it's a kind of a golden age for games overall which i know people would like people with a lot of nostalgia would disagree with but being able to buy a console for 300 bucks and then have a 10 dollar month subscription service and have access to all these games whereas before you would always have to shell out a lot more it's i don't know it's a good time to be gaming i guess yeah um for sure yeah combine that like cheaper consoles with like the right learning tools and low-income schools and that, that would be that would be a good thing um cheaper devices mean game dev hopefuls are less restrained by the money in their pockets which is cool mm -hmm. yeah, yeah 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 and so like that that idea of just like riding the wave to the next generation like making the costs low all the same game so you don't have to buy in now if you can't afford it yet that is xbox's approach uh playstation is different they're like we want to excite people about new toys 
And that appeals to me personally more, even though I value both approaches. And the the PlayStation is kind of delivered on its like fun novelty, I guess. Um, I've mm -hmm. you'll be very proud of me. I played three games this week, you guys. That's a lot. Whoa, for me. three whole games. I know. I not whole games. I played three. Games. <laughs> <laughs> I finished three sixty-hour experiences. Yeah, yeah. Because I knew we'd be I knew we'd be talking about this, and I'm like, because what happened was. Because I had a busy week, so I, I got these consoles, I unboxed them, I put them on the top of my bookshelf because they wouldn't fit anywhere else, and then I didn't plug them in for four days. <laughs> There's so many people who are struggling to get these consoles right I know. now who hate you. I know, I, I, and I feel bad because I was like, I, was like I, should, I should really, like, I owe it to everyone who, 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 who fell in the battle, like, to... <laughs> It was survivor's guilt is what it was, you know? The veterans, yeah. the console war. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but no, I, I played the new Spider-Man game and uh, it yeah. is, it, that's one that's just Spider-Man, but more of it. Uh, it yeah. But it stars Miles Morales. <laughs> so the there's some, you know, uh, he animates differently. The, the, there's, it's actually quite, it's been advertised as kind of a spin-off game and I'm not yeah. really far into it. I'm an, an hour or two, but like, of the time I've spent, like thirty percent of that time has been cutscenes. Like, it is a high value production. It, it is a. I, I mean, I don't know how long it is, but because I'm an advocate of shorter games, I would call this a full sequel. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. it, it it's really really high production quality, um, and uh, it of course benefits from having all, all the same combat systems, the same New York, all of that. That's what made them able to develop it in a year. Um, mm -hmm. But it's great. It's just more Spider Man. I'm totally on board with that. Um, I think the 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 um the twist on Miles's story is pretty cool. I think a lot of people know Miles uh, Morales, the character from Into the Spider Verse, um, and maybe not from much else if you don't say read the comics. Um, and uh, this is different from that. I would say the Into the Spider Verse Miles has more more character and is a more fun. Like, uh, but I li I really like the um the 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 setting and the plot of, of the story in this one so far, um, which is really cool. You get a strong sense of like. Um, the character, not just his personality, but like his attachment to his culture and his family. It's really, really cool. And that, yeah. and I mean, most of the time you're punching goons. So, uh, right. <laughs> cause it's a video game, <laughs> Yeah, but I did appreciate how much, uh, effort was put into the narrative. I really expect it to be like Spider-Man, Peter Parker goes on vacation. It's time for miles to punch some goons, but there's actually quite a bit more to it. And I was very impressed. Um, yeah. you know, it's got ray tracing, looks fantastic. Um, <laughs> but the thing was, is like the Spider-Man looked great. So like the earlier game. So, um, I don't know mm -hmm. how much better it is. And I think that's one of the things that we're all going to have with this generation is like games have been pretty good for a while in terms of like AAA looks. Um, yeah. you know, there are some, I think ray tracing is one of those things where you can really identify a benefit, but like, there's not a lot of game mechanics that rely on you staring into a mirror. So it's, it's not like an opportunity yeah. to when you play a game to ex to really benefit from those things. The one thing that the PlayStation does with the PS5 is uh, its controller, which a lot of people have been raving about, uh, has improved haptics. It has these things called adaptive triggers where um, there's a great teardown video where someone just pulls the thing apart and you can actually see how mechanically it works. But the triggers offer physical resistance. So mm. um, you know how like some people compare controls like, oh, the triggers on these are a little squishier or these ones a little harder to press. Well, uh, you know, on the PlayStation 5 control, they're adaptive. They will change um, depending on the game mechanics. And um, I think it's kind of hit or miss that feature. I'm curious to see what developers do with it. But it's definitely something you feel in the Spider-Man game where at the, when you swing lower to the ground, uh, you hold the right trigger to, to, to swing in that game. And as you swing lower to the ground, you get a little bit more like it wiggles a little bit, it kind of fights back. Mm. 
you can kind of, it's almost like feeling the breeze as you like go through the trees. Um, there's lots of ways they try to like mm -hmm. um, adapt some real world feelings into the haptics of the controller and the triggers. Um, but a lot of it's very much like what Nintendo did for HD Rumble. I, I think it's even the same technology, the sort of linear actuating motor um, that's in there. I think reviewers have said that it's better or newer, but I think it's just because the form factor on that controller is slightly differently, so it doesn't feel exactly the same. But I feel like it's they're not doing anything Nintendo had didn't already invent. And I think uh, a couple of years ago, uh, it's just it's going to be entirely up to developers to use it. Mm -hmm. And if the Switch is anything to go by, they're not going to use it that much. Right. Nope. <laughs> um, the showcase for that, of course, is Astro's Playroom, or as my wife calls it, Astro Boy's Playaround. Um, <laughs> Same dev. Which is a way better title. Yeah. Um, that is a game. It's a 3D platformer. You play as become this PlayStation mascot character that was introduced at the beginning of the PS4 console, this little cute little chibi robot looking thing. And um, you, it's a 3D platformer and you, it's all celebrating the history of PlayStation. It's like so PlayStation family. It's something Nintendo would never do. Like Nintendo is obsessed with itself, but even they wouldn't make a pure like celebrate Nintendo product. I mean, they made a game called Nintendo Land and it's Half -half not Super Smash Brothers. Half -half. No, this is this is more a celebration of <laughs> PlayStation. More than that. Than that is a celebration. Wow. Absolutely. Like you, okay. you collect artifacts through each level that are peripherals. Like I, uh -huh. I collected the PlayStation one mouse. Like, oh, a, wow. Oh, yeah. OK. Yep. And <laughs> with a trackball hey. and everything like the, the and it's it's it is. And what's interesting, like my relationship with PlayStation is I had a PlayStation uh, three and I never had a PlayStation one or two. So I don't know the I don't have any nostalgia for the early history of PlayStation. And but it's really cool to actually see it like, I don't know, it feels kind of honest in a way, like it's very much mm -hmm. like you rah rah our brand. But I'm kind of like very on board with it in a way. It's super, super cute. It's super fun. And of course, I like gadgets. And so just seeing like all the, the collectible like webcams of the various generations of PlayStation <laughs> in this yeah. platformer game. Uh, and the game is pretty good. It's not it's very easy, but it's not uh, a, a breeze. And so it's kind of tuned just right. It's like there's a lot of content more than a tech demo would normally have. But it's not like a full like it's not a 3D Mario in terms of how much there's to do. Um, but it, uh, so it kind of, uh, it keeps you engaged enough to go looking for all of the branded items, right? It's like, it's just tuned very, very well. And that game, uh, why I mentioned it is because it uses the PlayStation 5 controller and just, it is just completely decks out every possible feature. The little speaker on there is always chirping. Uh, they, you, you pull out an umbrella and then the, it starts raining and you can feel the raindrops on, in, as you hold the controller oh, in your amazing. hand. Oh, you know, like when you have an umbrella, it's a little like, like, yeah. kind of popping, yeah. a, a little yeah. slapping sound when it hits your, your plastic umbrella. You can feel yeah. that in your hand. Wow. And really well done. A, a lot of the work of that happens between your hands and your brain, right? It, it, yeah. In terms of what's actually happening, um, it's like I said, it, technologically, it's certainly no more advanced than what the Switch is doing with its HD rumble. It's just that the design of it really showcases it. And if you read, read a lot of the um, tech press or games press reviews of, of Astro's Playroom, you will definitely read people say like it's like magic. I have no idea how did the, how did the engineers do this? It's like no no no. It wasn't the the hardware engineers. It was the software designers who who really made that work. And that impressed me the most about that. It also does make me sad because I know nobody else is going to try it. Um, it's an absolute <laughs> ton of work. Um, I've I've worked with the Nintendo's platform for HD Rumble, and we put I put a lot of that into Widget Satchel, and I'm very proud of that. 
but it was like more work than it needed to be. Like the tools yeah. are not super robust. And I, I don't I don't have a lot of confidence that Sony has 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 done much better because it's a very hard kind of idea to to make really adaptive and really intuitive tools for. Um, I'm sure they're doing their best and it didn't say they're not doing their best, it's just that it's hard to do. And so I don't know if anyone other than Sony first party studios are going to be doing much with it. Mm-hmm. Um, something I've been hearing a lot being uh, somewhat tapped into the games accessibility community mm-hmm. is like people are really, um, they think the different things going on with the controllers are cool. And they're glad that like, I guess Sony kind of took a page out of, um like the last of us part two and they gave just a lot of options for being able to like turn off the um what are they called the adaptive triggers yeah um and turn on and off a lot of things but overall the design of the controller was will be difficult for it and their reviews was like difficult for players with small hands which includes me um hand pain or limited grip strength um Mm -hmm. it doesn't really work well with the Currently, they're Sony's, you know, most accessible and most customizable console. Um, yeah, yeah. As well as mm. problems. The settings for um, vibration intensity and adaptive the triggers are they're on a sliding scale. Uh, it's mm-hmm. not just on or off. So that is an accessibility win. But it's going yeah, to come down to it's going to come get down to the game design because uh, it's things you know um, you know when you want to design something that can be played by people who have color blindness then you have to make sure that if you design features that require color uh, recognition, you need to have uh, uh, not, if not settings, then alternate modes of communication, like ways to do that. I think this just makes the job of developers much harder. And so I think what might end up happening is that they don't make those features in an effort to serve um, accessibility concerns. They don't make those features required because then they would have to do way more work to then make alternate versions that are accessible. And so maybe that's ultimately good because they're not going to be doing the thing of just making things that are not accessible, but it means that it's going to limit their ability to leverage the technology because there isn't an easy way to make it accessible, which is kind of a bummer. Yeah. And then Dale played a lot of bug snacks, which is adorable (laughs) as hell. And that is my, that is my one sentence uh, impression of that. Well, you know, you should have us over and we'll play. Oh. <laughs> yeah if you're not using that playstation yeah <laughs> yeah my brother is probably like um drooling right now he was <laughs> yeah. he really wanted it he was really looking for <laughs> pre-orders for the ps5 and you know i we we've talked about this in the past um we've got like a secret target that we go to that we get where we get all oh that's right i remember that launch. what episode yeah, is that we have to put that in show notes oh yeah i don't remember which one but i'll, I'll look that up that's okay. their secret <laughs> <laughs> What, what was that, Ellen? The secret McGregor target. Yeah, the secret McGregor It's like a high inventory, low traffic target that you've always yeah, gone to for great. console launches. Yeah, but they didn't have any PlayStation 5, so. Mm. <laughs> so never mind yeah. then. I think you're just saying that, so it stays. Yeah, that's just like, that, that's just the cover for seven years from now. <laughs> Holly, what were you going to say? Oh, I guess the Lake Street target just reopened. It uh, got lots of fire in it um, mm-hmm. in May, uh, and maybe not a lot of people know that. So I guess actually, I could go and snoop for you. When I was to that point, when I was uh, the way Target did their orders is uh, um, not the pre-orders, but the day of the one that I got is you had to pick mm-hmm. which store to pick it up from, which meant that if you mm-hmm. picked a store and then in as you order it, they all get snapped up because of bots or whatever. Like yeah. there might still be many available. You just have to pick a different store. So it's actually kind of a clumsy system. And I saw the late Lake Street target on that list. And I was like, 
if I choose that the, and it's the not fire t- the one that's on fire, yeah, the one that's been closed <laughs> since May, like, and it's just yeah. like, well, good, good on them if they were to open it by now. But like, I don't know if I trust that with the three seconds I have to make a decision here. Right. No, right. Actually, yeah, the Lake Street Target, like, it stayed in the app for a long time, which was irritating because every yeah. time I needed to do a Target run, it was like, remember when you had a Target a mile from your place? Mm-hmm. Well, now you don't. <laughs> <laughs> but remember that it used to be there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of. Charles failing and getting a PS5. Oh man, I you've you're very proud of yourself, aren't you? A little yeah. bit. Uh- we'll, we'll allow it. <laughs> that was, you know, actually you had an easier one, but because you don't have bug snacks and I don't have bug snacks, apparently bug snacks doesn't have uh, these things that you're segueing to. Ah, it does not have a fail state. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I guess I, I wanted to bring up fail states because I've been thinking about this some, in, especially in respect to like AAA games, because I kind of feel like AAA games don't do a good job of fail states, or mm. at least they, it, it feels it feels like they could do a lot better of a job. So I wanted to bring it up so I could talk to people who have more money. Hopefully they'll hear me and <laughs> <laughs> fix their stuff. Uh, <laughs> so what what are fail states? Um, I wrote this definition. It is not a complete definition but um it's just the state where uh, the the game takes when the player has uh, failed at a task so like for instance if you fall in a gap in mario and that's a fail state then it's just a little he jumps up and does ah i, I, I fell thing um oh, or oh, like if oh, you... oh. <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh or um getting caught in a stealth game uh like those kinds of things would be considered fail states right not always um, deaths yeah, they're not always deaths. Um, a lot of them are, mm-hmm. um, and a lot. Of, so a lot of fail states are binary in that way. Like you either did it or you didn't do it. And then, but some of them are more granular, like in a, a stealth game, because like if you get caught, there's a chance for you to escape, or sometimes you'll just get like spotted and it'll be aware of your existence, but they won't exactly know where you are. So like it's a different kind of state you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, and then there's also like the the. Uh, the amount of time it takes to get into a fail state is something to consider too. Like, uh, there's like a sometimes, like in Mario, for instance, when you run out of all of your lives, there's like a whole dramatic effect, and it's like, <laughs> oh, you lost all your lives, shame on you, and stuff. <laughs> and it takes like three minutes, then you can get back into the level you were just in. <laughs> three minutes. I mean, maybe not three minutes. But <laughs> I'm exaggerating for effect, but <laughs> well, yeah. And yeah. lives are like a whole other thing on top of fail states. Like there are fail states, which is a leftover from arcade games, which makes sense because it builds tension and allows you to feel like you're winning. But the live system is just like we're not putting in quarters. Do away with it, anyway. <laughs> well, yeah, that's my two cents. Well, what's kind of fascinating about like lives is that like uh, the new Crash Bandicoot, Crash Bandicoot Four came out, and it had two options where you could do. The modern version when there are no lives, but it keeps track of how many times you've fallen and stuff. Um, and then there's the retro version where like you there are lives and stuff and you have to pay attention to that. Um, I just found that kind of interesting that like they had that effect. The fail states were still the same effectively, but mm-hmm. um, you, they could you could it could be more or less punishing, I suppose. Um, but anyways, I wanted to get on my soapbox and say that AAA games don't do it right. <laughs> because... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that like oftentimes fail states in games are either too punishing or they don't make sense for the game you're playing. Um like like fail states give you a chance for people to learn things because like um one of the one of the 
best things about video games is that like you're you're in a safe environment where you can try a bunch of new stuff uh, and, and f- figure out how things work and un- get a better understanding of how this like environment functions. But if the fail state is very punishing, if every time you want to try to jump off of a cliff, it take there's a 30 minute long cutscene that tells you that you shouldn't do this thing. <laughs> you're gonna stop trying Three to do to that. Thirty minutes. Now we're here. <laughs> yep. Dude, um, I want to play your your version of the fail state game where it's just. <laughs> Like 10 minutes of gameplay and then a 30 minute cutscene explaining why you're bad. <laughs> That's called Uncharted. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, I, I, I think that like in the AAA space, we have like an opportunity to better teach people things through fail state. Um, but also like one issue I have with like fail states and AAA games is that like it's like an alternate history sort of thing. Like if you're playing Batman Arkham mm. Knight, um, and you get beat up by random hench folk or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're Batman. Yeah, exactly. Then you're Batman. And then like Joker is up above you and he says, ha you died or whatever. Uh, that is like not how the actual game is supposed to go. That's not the flow yeah. of the actual game. So then it just like rewinds you back. And so like you have to kind of like do it again. Um, that to me feels very weird. It kind of feels like you're an actor, like acting out a scene. Mm-hmm. Instead of like you playing through a game, wasn't that um, the uh, isn't wasn't that the innovation of the first Assassin's Creed, which is like no no it didn't actually happen this way you've been desynchronized yeah. from history, right? Yeah, yeah yeah and like that that makes it more interesting and it makes it more, fit more into the the world of the game. I yeah. don't know that it I backs that, into like, it a little bit, right? It's, yeah. Um, yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. mechanically it's not any different. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah, but there's this um, there's a one there's a game called I think Call of Juarez or something like that mm-hmm. where like you're basically playing as somebody telling a story. And so like if you fail in that story, they're like, wait, 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 wait. That's not how it happened. This is how it happened. Yeah. Um. And so like it's it's kind of the same kind of thing, but like it makes it feel a little bit different. I almost wish mm-hmm. there was a game that like you uh how do I describe it? Like you are an actor literally acting out scenes mm-hmm. and it um when you like don't do the scene correctly or something they're like cut do it again or something like that yeah. and it like oh, yeah. fits within the world a lot better mm-hmm. um, i mean ultimately, yeah, i don't know uh, it's not oh, it's not well surfaced but super mario brothers 3 is that right it's, oh yeah that's true it's a because it's all a play yeah yeah i, I mean it, it but it's it's a very light touch in terms of like yeah. communicating that to the player yeah yeah but that's a that's a good point. I didn't mm-hmm. consider that before. Um, am I the only one who feels like this? <laughs> Though I'm curious. <laughs> and I think the language that you're using to describe what you see, because basically, like, I've, I've there are a couple of things that I've kind of grabbed onto in what you said. First is like the fail state doesn't have to be a punishment. That's a yeah. choice. Yeah. Fail state is a learning experience. And I know that I say those two words together all the time on the podcast, but like that's, that's where you're teaching the player how to play the game. Is that when you said, okay, you tried that and it didn't work. So let's try again. Yeah. And if you, if you take that a step further and say, you did, you tried that and it didn't work. Dummy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a choice that you make in your game. Mm. Um, and that's pretty cool. I like the way that you were talking about that. I also think it's really interesting what you're saying about like the way that fail state and narrative can kind of mess each other up. That was yeah. that's an interesting insight. I don't know what to do about it. Yeah. I I've, I've been thinking about that some and the only thing I could come up with was that <clears throat> that um 
you're in a movie sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> a, couple game, a couple of games have made efforts here. So Bioshock yeah. had its Vita Chambers, where mm. uh, when you died, you you revamp. It was a checkpoint, but in the yeah. narrative, it was actually a clone of you or something. And it's, it has yeah. implications that are not super well explored. But the idea is, is that what ha- um it, it's kind of and this thing, it's kind of wishy washy on the truth of the matter. But like when you die, what you did in the world still happened. Right. You yeah. just you can yeah. go and and there are lots of games where when you die, you get to keep the things you collected. And so there, there's mechanical approaches to instead of just rewinding time as a as a, a death checkpoint system might have. And then narratively. But I don't I think you're right. Ultimately, no one's cracked it in a way that's really satisfying, partly yeah. because mechanically players don't have a lot of complaints. And so right. in order to mm-hmm. adapt it narratively, you'd have to mess with the mechanics in a way. if you didn't just want to put a coat of paint on it like bioshock did right yeah yeah Yeah. i mean there's um like definitely a hierarchy of fail states to be considered Mm -hmm. like this is from outside the perspective of game dev but like if your game is really involved and demanding your fail state shouldn't be super punishing because then that's just gonna lead to people giving up um but then like on the far other end of games that do have fail states like the the failing is part of the game and finding fun ways to fail is the point like um like surgeon simulator or like a really old i want to say it was a flash game it was called um i'll remove the swear it was called don't poop your pants um (laughs) you just or you just like put in different commands and the fun of it was finding all the ways that it could go wrong yeah um yeah yeah but like on the other end of things it's you have to determine whether you want like a slap on the wrist which will like make people keep going or a gut punch which will make people quit yeah mm-hmm. yeah there's a, a vr game called don't press anything or don't touch anything um yeah. and you're in a you're in a room that's like a like a um a, a bunker silo kind of like a, a missile control kind of setup and anything you do anything you do will cause a fail state um, oh yeah <laughs> and the goal the goal of the game is to do all the fails like oh <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right, yeah, like the inevitable YouTube videos, like all, like all endings to what was it? Don't touch anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, actually, ultimately, I would like it if like a fail state actually just led to the end of the game. Um, that's something that like visual novels do a lot. Like you'll make a yeah. a bad choice for something where it'll be like, do you want to um, save your your kingdom or leave forever? <laughs> And then you're like, no, I'm just going to leave forever. And then that's the end of the game. And that like is ending seven or whatever. Like, I, I, I kind of wish that was a thing that was but you want to be games. satisfying for the player, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, one of the things but... like uh, AAA games, you see like uh, stats for trophies or achievements and uh, games are too long because not most people don't finish them. Right. So yeah. this would just be a way to do that. <laughs> like if people aren't finishing their your game anyway, like why not just cut it short? Like, yeah. Well, that, that reminds me, actually, there was this one game called Shadow Complex where um, you're trying to save uh, your girlfriend because she got kidnapped for some reason. I don't remember the exact details. Sounds about right. Um, <laughs> was that that one Orson Scott Card worked on? What, what was that? Orson Scott Card worked on that. There was some controversy there. I don't remember. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I am unaware of the controversy. But like, you could just opt to like run back to the car and just decide, oh, I'll just leave. Um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then the credits would roll after that. So I kind of yeah. like that. <laughs> and that, that's a gag I mean, ending, right? Like that's Yeah, it was a gag ending. Yeah. But but like it was fun. 
But yeah, um, well, the reason why I say that like triple A games specifically, I feel like aren't doing a great job of it is because I think that there's a lot been a lot of innovations in indie in the indie space hmm. that has improved on things a lot. Like I think about like Super Meat Boy, where uh, whenever you die as 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 Meat Boy, like almost a second later, you're back into the game running. Yeah. Um. Like it doesn't really feel like a fail state. It just feels like you can just keep trying it over and over and over again mm-hmm. immediately. Um. And there are a bunch of like uh, platformers that do that now due to that. I I I like to attribute that to Super Meat Boy. But if I'm mistaken, somebody correct me. Well, uh, <laughs> um, Color, Color Jumper, a game developed yeah. by uh, a local dev here, uh, and uh, that I helped publish on the Switch, available now. Um, <laughs> that uh, it was inspired directly by Super Meat Boy for its yeah. fast respawn. So I think you're right. I think that's where it is commonly attributed to. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hyperdot has fast response too. That's right. Different kind of game, but like that was something that we heard a lot. It was like, oh, I'm so glad you can like jump straight back in um, and keep playing versus being like, oh, I failed and have to marinate with that for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a fail state, but it's not a punishment. Right. There's not right. a big like text treatment that says like you died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that text treatment, I feel like um, uh, Dark Souls and stuff. A lot of people, to me anyways, I think a lot of people think that um, those games are punishing, and they are, but I don't think it's due to the fail states. Mm-hmm. Right. Because um, I think they're pretty generous with like the amount of time or the amount of uh, places you can uh, save your progress. Um, it's more that like it's just you make any little mistake and you, you know, you die. Mm-hmm. Um, but like even, like even Dark Souls like is relatively uh, their fail states are pretty nice to the player, I think. Yeah, they seem to have like hit that right balance of being like our game's really demanding, so we're not going to we're not going to like slap you in the face <laughs> yeah. when you inevitably <laughs> lose because you're going to lose and that's how you learn. Yep. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Just yeah. get back to where you died and it's fine. Yep, yep. Um but like on the other hand though, I think that like uh not having a fail state is sometimes uh, or not having like uh, uh, a, a death fail state, I guess, like like how Super Mario does it, um, can be sometimes an issue. Like we kind of, I think we ran into this when we were working on Widget Satchel, um, where like there isn't technically an uh, official fail state when mm-hmm. like you fall into a pit because the pit has a a floor somewhere and you land on the floor and you take no damage, and then you can get back up to where you started. Right. But it like you have to uh, you have to backtrack all the way back to where you started in order to continue forward. Right, the game right. has fail states, but it, it it introduces something else. Like you're still you're still playing the game, you're still running and jumping, but you're yep. in a state of failure until you reach yes. back the point. So it's it's uh it's almost metatextual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. I mean it's fail state in the way that it would be a fail state in real life. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm just imagining people like <laughs> tumbling. Depending on what no. your life fail is, if your life fail led to you dying. Well, that's, yeah. that's the game over. <laughs> that's, um, that's true game over. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, I think like um, that I think that was a point of frustration for some players. And we tried to we tried to like make that better. I, mean, mm-hmm. I think we talked about this on the show. Uh, we talked about it recently. We tra- even. Yeah, um, yeah. Like we tried to make it better by like adding conveyor belts to make you move more quickly or like adding lifts or something to get yeah, you back right. to where yeah. you started um, and adding checkpoints and stuff where you could like yeah. reload. And I put a lot of prizes in the fail yeah. corridors so that when you fail, yeah. like if you were really good at the game, you wouldn't get all the fun stuff. 
that was mm-hmm. a really important thing that I learned uh, sort of midway through is yeah. to to reward failure. Yeah. Which is not something I think a lot of games do. Very true. Yes. You're rewarding experimentation, right? Because you can't yeah. have experimentation without finding that those failure states. And if you got to reward that, too. Yeah. If you fall down a pit and you get a prize, then the next time you face a a, a difficult jump, you won't you won't be as scared to fall. Yeah. Even if there's no prize down that hole. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. So we tried to mitigate it. But I think that I think the fails once you got the rewards and stuff of the thing, uh, I think people uh, I think it felt like Widget Satchel's fail states were too punishing after a while. Maybe in Super Widget Satchel, we can work to <laughs> resolve that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a fine balance between like giving people a nudge and in, and in Widget Satchel's case, a reward to keep mm-hmm. working or, you know, making them give up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like what you say, Stephen, that's what the rewards ended up being necessary because otherwise yep. there would be too many places where it would feel too punishing. Um, yep, yep. Because it was just giving someone a task instead of just letting them try again. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so many fail states like the what you're looking at is like what's lost and can that lost thing be recovered? And if what you're losing is time, that that's rough. Yeah, rough. Then no. <laughs> yeah, like, like losing all your souls and then like maybe running back and being able to regain them is something. But like, yeah, losing a lot of time to a pit <laughs> on a space station is different. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but yeah I, I guess i wanted to bring it up because I, I i want uh developers um to think about it more um and like i mean and i guess i didn't propose any like awesome solutions to this but like i don't know i i think that like there could be more work done in the space to make fail states interesting for players to keep them playing even when they're doing something wrong yeah you know I mean? do you feel mm-hmm. that ultimately it's just that the it's it's too big a challenge or do you think that triple a games in particular are just not trying hard enough like they're not I seeing think, it as a problem yeah i think they're not trying very hard i think that it's accepted that like when you die in a thing you just go back to a previous checkpoint right, I, right. I i i see that um uh, in like uh when you're if you watch streams or something like if uh they're playing a new game or something and they die in the checkpoint was like two minutes later or two minutes before where they died they're like oh this was a nice generous checkpoint i think it's kind of like accepted that this is a fail state yeah. Um, and this is how fail states work where I yeah. think, whereas I think that like we could be more. And like I said, this, I think it's hard. It's not an easy task, but we could be more creative with fail states to make them fit within the world and keep players playing again. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Like failure isn't the only thing that gives victory meaning. Yeah. I would def like the first thing I think of is just, as I mentioned before, the games that are either like built around all the fail states or games that have a little bit of variety in how you fail. Like as funny as it is to meme, like the, (laughs) I can't even, I can't think of what the, it's like a woodwind and like a terrible noise that plays every time you die in whichever uncharted game. (laughs) Um, (laughs) If there's enough variety that like, (laughs) that it's something that people want to like compile into like a, you know, a YouTube video. Like if, if you, there's, there's something to be learned by looking at like how other people celebrate or or complain about fail states to see like how you can if your game needs if it requires dying and starting over how you can make that a fun experience yeah yeah i guess there's a little bit of that 
it's weird because it's a mixed like win state fail state in Hades. Is anyone else oh. playing Hades? I have not played it, but I've watched mm-hmm. a bunch of it. When you get to a certain point in the game um, and you keep winning, like the it, it has to boot you back to the beginning because it is a roguelike. And so it has a bunch of like little epilogues that it wrote, basically, yeah. um, which my first experience with those was actually seeing them in a tweet and being like, I haven't ever seen these screens before. And I didn't realize it was like a post credits thing that would happen mm. um but i saw someone complaining about it but i think they're kind of amusing because it's like a very like gritty narrator um just kind of sardonically reading how your character uh met his untimely end again <laughs> um <laughs> and like how it was embarrassing and bad and and yeah. like sometimes inputting like you could pretend that he lived happily ever after goodbye <laughs> um <laughs> So like, like it doesn't have to be mechanically like you don't have to create new cutscenes, but you know, there's there are easier ways to get or get to making failing interesting if that's something that your game requires. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and actually that's a good point. Roguelikes do um, do a lot to make fail states interesting because like they you like progress through the game as you fail. Um, yeah. Whereas you know other games do not do that, um, and you like get better at you get better as a player, but also you. Yeah, oftentimes characters your characters will get better or you'll learn more about things so you can do better in future lives um and that and it ends up working out in a way that i think is successful um that's a good yeah that's a good example holly i didn't really think about that <laughs> good <to call. laughs> i'm glad i thought of it right now here yes <laughs> <laughs> i was yeah. just talking to a friend actually who she doesn't game very much um mm-hmm. but her and her husband are trying to find some games to play together and they just started a new um, game that I quickly looked up because she said it was really hard, and I was like, I think it's a it's a rogue like or has like rogue light elements, whatever. Yeah. Um. And and like quickly had to reassure her, like, oh, the point of the game is that you die, re- like you get your butt kicked really early and often, yeah. um, and you're going to get better. So like, don't get frustrated. Um. Which it, to me is obvious when I play a game like that, or at least is obvious after that initial cutscene where I die, and I'm like, how was I supposed to beat that? And then I realize, oh, that's the point. Um, I forgot that this is the kind of game I'm playing. But for yeah. for an outsider, I was like, no, you have to keep going. Don't get frustrated. This is yeah. the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if we could just make that, if we could make that more apparent through the game design and the narrative of games, I would appreciate that. That's all <laughs> I'm asking for. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, we have a Patreon now. Wait, haven't we already talked about this? Yeah, but you know, we gotta say it like a little bit frequently so we don't forget about it. Are you telling me that people need to hear something more than once? For it to work? (laughs) Yes. Holly, does that sound right to you? Oh, am I supposed to talk in this? I literally... (laughs) 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 I was just like gonna let you roll. (laughs) I was gonna be like, mm, mm mm-mm. (laughs) <laughs> oh, that does sound right to me. I think the like old marketing knowledge is you're supposed to have like seven touches or something is the creepy way they put it. Seven but, like like you're supposed to someone has to be told to do not even not even in a Patreon context. Oh sorry, I'm derailing this. Um but like they need to be told about a product they already maybe already want like seven times before they act. And that's old knowledge, I'm sure okay. now it's like Okay, well, okay, listener, okay. That I'm terrible. So if you if all of you just uh, become patrons now, then by next stop next these. episode, we won't have to do this anymore. Yes. Uh, 
alternatively we could say it seven times um <laughs> join our patreon 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 there's there's exclusive content on the patreon uh, yeah. so my next question is what is on the patreon and who might want to go to the patreon for We've got we've got extras like we uh, recorded like an extra uh, tidbit for our 200th episode. Which you can listen to it's tidbit very cool. really un- undersells it. It's 42 yeah. minutes of additional nonsense. Uh, yeah, 42 <laughs> minute tidbit. <laughs> um. Do you like nonsense? Support us. Yeah. <laughs> You can pay for this nonsense. Yeah. We also have some extra outtakes uh, up there for you. Uh, we put outtakes at the end of the show very frequently, but we had so much going on in the 200th that we put a bunch of them up there on the Patreon for you. And uh, that's what's there now, but uh, there's going to be more in the future. But uh, mainly, we're not there to gate our our content. Um, it's there for you to support us. And so yeah. uh, that is us putting a lot of trust in you, the listener, uh, that if you feel you get value from the show, um, that Patreon is a way for you to support that. Um, that doesn't mean that we're going to be ever putting, uh, you know, numbered episodes back there. Um, but it means that if you value our episodes, that might be a way uh, for you to express that support. So we really would appreciate it. Occasional dog pictures. That's true. We, uh. we did promise Ellen uh, plus dog pictures. And we're, we're, um, we've got a lot of people working on that right now. So yes, we'll get back to you work. shortly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Steven, how, do, how are people going to get there? <laughs> NiceGames.club slash Patreon. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, it's time for my topic. I have no fancy transition because we have a lot to go over. Oh, wait, I lost it. Ellen, you I had, had something? One. No? I had one. It just didn't make sense anymore. Uh, you know, dang. we have Martha back for one episode, and then we start to get confident. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I Serves think it's us a right. pretty easy line from, especially wanting people to be more... Like, oh, Holly thinks it's easy. ...with Phil State. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you can, like, why don't you... Your segue should always just be, like, speaking of game dev. <laughs> <laughs> It's covered. Oh, man, you solved it for us. That's brilliant. Speaking of games. 
world building is my <laughs> topic. Another... Yeah, see, what a... Wow. You're right. Holly works. It's uh, yep. in evidence. Uh, <laughs> so what's interesting about this topic is we we have talked about world building quite a lot on the show. Um, and now that we're past 200, we actually have to go and search the archives to see if we've talked about something already. Like that's how many we, yeah. we've done. And I did. Yeah. And I, I searched the archives and there is the phrase world buildings not appear in any episode title, topic title or show notes. Um, oh. We've talked about it a lot, but we've never really focused on it, at least to yeah. the amount of building a whole topic around it. So um, I think a lot of this information we've talked about in bits and, and, and bobs uh, throughout the years. But let's put it all together right here. So. Um, one of the things that I wanted to go over is just the different types of world building. I think it's a pretty broad topic. I think most people are somewhat familiar with it, um, but it's about narrative settings, right? It's about the the place your world, uh, the place your story takes place in. And there's different approaches you can have. And so the two main categories I've split this into um, are building entire worlds, like complete fantasy, science fiction, magical realist, all complete worlds. Uh, top to bottom, everything is different. You know, little touch tones maybe from reality, but just so you can understand what what it is. Um, and that's the sort of classics, right? The Star Treks, your Star Wars, your Lord of the Rings. Those are entire worlds, mm -hmm. right? In games, you you know it when you see it. Uh, Mass Effect is, is a really odd example. Another one is Super Mario, because oh, Super okay. Mario has no nothing from the real world existence of Mario. Mm -hmm. It's a completely invented world. <laughs> it doesn't hang together very well. But it is, for, I, I would put it in this category. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other side of this is is very common in games and particularly in film is uh, basing your world around sort of a, a single premise. So it's it's the real world, but with X, right? So mm -hmm. you, you got your Ghostbusters, you got your Watchmen. I mean, uh, superhero uh, worlds, even though uh, if you read the comics, especially, it's complete they get they become larger and larger and become complete worlds after a while but they are still yeah. ostensibly based in a real world with a twist right um uh, bioshock's a good example of this where the actual physical setting is completely invented but it the world it takes place in and the context by which you bring uh, uh, your your sort of uh, the lens by which you see it through is the real world but what if a libertarian uh, crazy person built an underground city uh, in 1950 <laughs> uh, yada yada yeah. Yep. Assassin's Creed is also this. It's historical fiction uh, mm -hmm. to a point um, with a sci-fi twist. And it's based in our real world, even though what you see in the game is usually, you know, a, a pretty fantastical or or feels fully invented, even in the ones that are more historically accurate uh, on this the, on the spectrum of Assassin's Creed games. Um, but those are the two sort of things. And they that you can tell just from my description of them. They, there's lots of crossover. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and partly because when you want to build an entire world, it's such a big task that you really aren't going to do it, right? It's, it's mostly just like you, you get the badge. Yes, I build a whole world, but literally you didn't, right? You built 5% of a world and then you took 25% <laughs> from the existing world so people would know what things are called and that what that uh, up is up and down or in the right direction, stuff like that. And then the rest of it is just unwritten, right? And is implied. And so that's one of the things I think people have some difficulty when they want to build a whole world. I think people who do like Dungeons and Dragons campaigns or sort of familiar with this, where you you build the world that interacts with your story. Yeah. And you you can or you don't have to build any more than that. And I think both of those are good techniques. And I want to ask you guys about that, like thinking about the own stories you've created and the games you've worked on and the, the things you're fans of. Um, that Those two techniques of like building it as you go and as you need it to, to tell the story you need to tell versus like, going you know uh, going on a retreat and writing the whole encyclopedia 
and then and then putting stories inside of it. Um, I I think I would think of it in terms of game design because literally that's all I ever do. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so I like the way I would think of it is like I I oftentimes will fall in the trap of uh, over designing and like just thinking about my designs before actively trying it out. Um, and I think that like to me it would be best for my mind anyways to try some like think of some things and then try them out and see how that would work so like mm-hmm. i might start by like writing up uh oh this world has moving stools i i don't know um <laughs> <laughs> they walk they talk um <laughs> you know, i love i love when you force yourself to come up i love when you force yourself to come up with one example <laughs> and i and it's just yeah because um, it's, always, it's always fine stools are alive <laughs> yeah. got it yep Stools are alive. That's. I mean, do they have like eyebrows and everything, or? Well, that's <laughs> just stools, though. It's not like a Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> See, this is the world you got to build out. Like, are they sentient? Yeah. Only furniture. <laughs> well, yeah. So, like, I start with that, and I'm like, oh, this is a story of a stool that's just trying to get a full time job, and. Uh... <laughs> but then, like, you you try that out, and you start writing some stuff. And you're like, wait a minute how do the stools eat? And then you start thinking about all of these other things and it starts branching into yeah. more stuff. <laughs> so that helps me for like in, in my mind. I yeah. Guess. But that, that might not work for everybody else. You know, a good example on that dimension is uh, Paper Mario, the Origami King, which a mm-hmm. uh, recent game. And it, uh, there's uh, the story in that is um, they do actually get into the details of how a piece of origami becomes, comes alive. And, mm. you know, it's a light, it's a, it's a fantasy world. So there's not a lot of like, you know, uh, they don't, uh, they don't cross all the T's, you know, um, sure. but uh, they, and they don't address things like how do they eat? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I think that's the, the annoying part is people love to find those inconsistencies. Yeah. And like, the, I don't think a lot of creators are in a place to be like, no, we didn't figure out how they eat and you shouldn't care. Like, <laughs> Yeah. you're not cool yeah. well your your story and your structure <laughs> in games particularly like the experience the player has um uh, tells you the designer the writer or or whoever you are in that process it it should inform how much you need to fill in those blanks and how much of a mm-hmm. problem is it is when you don't um yeah. and it, yeah in in certain cases uh not answering those questions is perfectly fine and in fact the fact that they're not answered might lead to some of the sort of charm and tone of, yep. of a world that you build. And in other places, it becomes something that just hangs in your head and you can't let it go, like as a player or someone who watches or experiences it. And it's not, you don't always know which it is when you're designing a thing, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, what's the method of locomotion, Stephen, for these stools? Like, uh, 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 like are they magic? Yeah, other- or just... <laughs> Like, I didn't think this through, Mark. <laughs> but Steven's focus, the story is about a stool that wants a job. And, yeah. and let's say that it wants a job other than being sat upon, which is mo- what most stools yeah. settle right. on. Yes. The stool wants it to be. It pays okay, but it's not satisfying. <laughs> first, first stool in space. Yes. <laughs> I can but see it now. That's good. So the whether whether those nitpicky things will come up or it really depends on the rest of the thing you build around it. And in games, particularly mm-hmm. the type of game that it is, the experiences that you have. Um yeah. you know, would those questions come up or um you know, or would they come up in a way that that your dismissal of them becomes part of the part of it, you know, uh or not. Mm-hmm. And so that's that that introduces some challenge. Yeah. Um but it, you know, thinking back to fail states uh and widget satchel, 
one of the re- one of the reasons uh, Sprocket doesn't die is, uh, you know, if if Sprocket died, then that would be the saddest damn thing. But True. also, <laughs> uh, like uh, we were talking about, it, you have to re- rewind time. So ultimately, once you beat the game, the story was that Sprocket didn't die. Um, but that's not good enough, right? In in Widget Satchel, uh, it the possibility of Sprocket dying goes against the world that we built, right? Yeah, uh, and yeah. so. Um, and, and that's what, uh, when you talk about fail states, that's what makes death in a lot of games very weird and incongruous mm-hmm. with the worlds that get mm-hmm. built. Um, like it's so, so strange that Yoshi can die. Uh, yeah. like it, not in Super Mario world where he gets, where Mario throws him away. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a Yoshi game, it's weird that, that because of the tone of those, even though there's sort of yeah. hard games. Um, yeah. and you can see in Mario games, they say too bad and Mario doesn't get impaled. Mario goes, oh, like his animation is, oh, shucks as the, the iris closes in. It actually doesn't even imply yeah. that Mario dies weirdly. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't, and Stephen, yeah. like you were saying, they don't falls. do a good job of this, but that's an no. important part of when you coming up with all sorts of like mechanical interactions of your game. And, uh, even if it's not how the story is the canonical story, it's, it takes place in the world still. Right. So we're talking about like, uh, Stephen, you sort of set the tone with your earlier topic, but like things that, that people make, the stakes people make. And I think that's, uh-huh. a, that's an easy way, that's an easy lens by which to talk about topics like this. One of the things in world building that I think a lot of people do is they build these interesting, interesting places, these settings, and then they're satisfied with that. And then they don't follow their own rules like moment to moment. And I think that yeah. um, can be, uh, it sounds like laziness, but in fact, it's just lack of diligence. Like it's hard to follow your own rules, especially yeah. if you, especially the more novel or unique uh, uh, things you have. Um, so a lot of times there'll be like real world uh, um, concepts will bleed through. So you'll have, um, this happens a lot in television because they need to tell like, you know, 13 to, to 20 hours of, of story a year. And if you have a world that's based on something really uh, bizarre, like, you know, I'm not going to do the one example, Stephen, because it'll be just as silly as yours. <laughs> uh, but what happens when you build these worlds is that then you have to stick to them. So, I, well, one, here's an example. So Star Trek does this uh, in a way that disappoints me sometimes. Where early seasons of Star Trek: The Next Generation talked about how, um, oh, uh, someone says like, oh, your 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 parents cooked for you. You're, you they touched real meat. That's incredible. And it's like, oh, because in the future there would be no animal products whatsoever. And then mm-hmm. later in the show, you hear someone talk about like. Oh, yeah, like, you know, we lived on a farm and we didn't touch replicated food. We had and then you hear that that's kind of like a common thing people do. And you're like, but earlier it was so unusual (laughs) or also in Star Trek, people will talk about how like there's no alcohol. You have synthahol, right? Uh, It's just to replicate it. But then because in the real world, when people get together and chill out, they want to have a glass of wine or something together. So you'll have a scene like that in Star Trek, like and you'll have things that need to be relatable to the real world audience but then violates your own rules. And so it's not something that just happens when you're lazy. It just happens uh, when you've got a lot of material to produce or when uh, you set these rules and then maybe aren't interested in them anymore. Like, um, and that's a choice you need to make. Like uh, if you're making one game, you should, you should, you could be able to go back and change the thing if you've changed your mind on a rule. But I think it's okay to change the rules if it serves another purpose. Uh, I'm not going to be so, I'm not so much of a nitpicker to, to prevent someone from doing that but um i have a question related i I, the only universe that i can think of that does like a no there's comics do this Mm -hmm. a lot where they're just like we're resetting it and we're starting over and the other one i was thinking of like it was like it's like the star wars extended universe where they're like all of that is canceled fresh start Mm -hmm. is that where does that does that happen in games often uh mortal kombat did it i guess games don't have right 
Okay, yeah, I was gonna say it has to. It'll have to be something that's been around for a yeah, long time. Yeah, Mortal Kombat did it where it was, and I don't know why I know this because I the only Mortal Kombat I played was the original. But they um, actually, well, I know why I know this because I'm interested in this kind of topic where they in Mortal Kombat 10, nine or ten, I think they just mm-hmm. retold the story of Mortal Kombat one, two, and three. Which apparently there's there apparently there's yeah. a story that was a thing a thing I learned also, um, <laughs> and they retold it, but they didn't do it um, by just uh, like a re- reboot. They had somebody go back in time and like change the timeline, oh. right? And they did oh. it partly so that they can they could re- they could tell it fresh, new, and like modern sensibilities and change some things and make uh, sort of uh, change their mind about some stuff, but also to sort of preserve that ha- that past. Uh, Star yeah. Trek, in fact, did it as well. The t- 2009 Star Trek movie. Uh, which split off the timeline mm-hmm. for those three films w- also had a connection to the original Star Trek timeline. And that was less about uh, wanting to fun- come up with a cool way to do it and more about not wanting to anger Star Trek fans, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought they did a pretty good job. All told, yeah. I know why they did it was a little bit kind of uh, maybe like uh, uh, they might not have, have made that choice if they didn't have to, but they did mm-hmm. a good job. I thought, um, but I don't know other in other games. I can only think of Mortal Kombat that's tried it to do it that way. Yeah. And a lot of them like, long-term franchises they just kind of like nod to the fact that this is in a timeline like i like mario games usually like reference that mario and bowser have been like not getting along for a while um, (laughs) which is part of the fun of like paper mario origami king because you had to team up and they were like we will go back to war immediately when this is done um (laughs) and uh zelda games which i i got to have the experience of like playing and enjoying these games outside the like uh like like the meta and the criticism of them that I didn't under I I know that lots of lots of people put a lot of time into like trying to figure out the Zelda timeline yeah. where I just kind of like internalized thinking that like oh no each Zelda game is just like a retelling of the same legend yeah like it's there's not a timeline it is the same story every time right um, and that's what's fun uh, like a uh, uh, Final Fantasy is not quite every Final Fantasy is very different um, yeah. explicitly mm-hmm. so. Um, but also they all have chocobos like, you know, they all have (laughs) each of those worlds has some touched points. And and that itself is this larger, almost meta world building. And I think Zelda does a really good job of that because they focus on what matters, which is the game they're making right now. And they Mm -hmm. and the rules they've set for themselves that that's more important. So any of the any inconsistencies, it doesn't just get chalked up to whatever it it actually adds to the tapestry of the. And not even in a way that needs to be kept track of on a, on a sprawling wiki, although definitely that's been done. It's, <laughs> it, it's about the sort of feeling. It, it's, um, it's less about like, you know, who was president of that province, you know, 700 yeah. years ago in, in the, 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 the codex history of our kingdom. It's, it's more about like uh, um, uh, setting a tone for the world that, that it lives in. So it's not just about facts and, and, uh, and you know, magical spells and uh, 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 when technology was invented and which aliens are out there there's there's more to it right yeah <laughs> yeah for sure yeah so i think the other thing that a lot of times happens that um that people have difficulty with is like they don't necessarily uh spin out the implications of the choices they make so mm-hmm. uh, this happens a lot in like superhero stories um i think the marvel cinematic universe is probably like they've they've made efforts to this but they can never commit which is so superheroes are real Right. So right. in that world, what else is different? But the the, yeah. va- the value of a Marvel story, at least the way that Marvel does it, if I'm going to give them if I'm going to take them at their word and give them full credit, which is that their stories matter because they take place in the real world. Like that's what right. gives those the, the, the plots mm-hmm. weight. But once you build this sprawling universe, it becomes preposterous 
uh, for lots of real things to happen, you know, like sure, yeah, entire yeah. genres of literature would go away and like, you know, uh, complete uh, uh, organizations would be formed and our conversations about civil liberties mm -hmm. would be a lot different. And so the the yeah. analogies that you have in a movie like Civil War would those arguments they're having make sense in our world. They don't make sense in their world. And so mm. uh, so I, I think there's debate as to what which which is more valuable, right? The consistency within the world you make or the value that your story provides. I think ultimately yeah. what we want to do is satisfy both halves of those things um, by having, uh, um, you know, a world building that's consistent and logical and and feels like because it gives the story power and weight when it uh, follows its own rules yeah. and, 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 and spins out the, its implications, but then also can relate to the message it's trying to send. Um, I think uh, it but it becomes very, very easy to sacrifice one for the other. Um, and I think a lot of, a lot, maybe even most, uh, uh, pieces of fiction do that. Yeah. I would say like it's the, the upside, the upside, the one of many upsides of like a really, like of really rich world building is that people want to live in it. Like this is yeah. why like fanfic exists that people are mm -hmm. like, I like those rules and I want more of it. Um, the downside is that like, it's hard to get like the complexity of the human condition really in, in, in any like universe like this and yeah. what i'm thinking of specifically is um there's a piece recently in polygon about queer identity in watchdogs and mm -hmm. watchdogs legion specifically and how like the game made all these big strides for representation and it's clear that the person who wrote it is overall a fan um but like queer identity is basically flavor text so like you yeah. can pick from all these folks you can like pick from all these recruits and i'm speaking from someone who hasn't played watchdogs legion and i'm sorry but um who have these really complex interesting backstories um like and uh but none of that is actually like reflected in their experience mm -hmm. and so yeah. like and they're and like they're making the kind of needed trade-off um but like they chose to have like all this cool these people have these cool big identities that like but they're just like okay being like like a trans person of color living in like fascist london like they're i don't know it doesn't connect completely yeah I guess. right right and yeah. yeah that's right they're it's like not, this is their you know, the life should be different than it is yeah, yeah yeah and i think that that happens a lot because and the, the thing about watchdogs legion is that it's trying to tell a story about living under fascism and right. and by right. and by making people that feel either relatable or identifiable to certain players it ends up failing its its mission in a sense. Right. Right. Yeah. It's hard to, and I understand where they're stuck too. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. they want to have this inclusivity and they also like, they don't necessarily want to tell stories of personal tragedy that will get people pointing fingers and being like, you know, I didn't really need to like relive my experience as like with, with trauma and with yeah. um, discrimination here in, in this game, even though yes, yeah. it is in a, like a fascist state. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where uh, the types of world building gives you different approaches to that. Like it, Watch Dogs is the our world, but this, right? Plus this one yep. feature. Mm -hmm. And so, whereas you could instead, you could build a world where there's like analogs or uh, allegorical connections. And, uh, but you have different minefields there. And this happens a lot with uh, science fiction. It has alien races that are meant to sort of replicate real world, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, sociopolitical connections or racial yeah. relations or things like that. Happens a lot of times. I think... Um, uh, 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 Wizards of the Coast has has uh, recently made a lot of effort to make changes to the way the Dungeons and Dragons lore works to remove some of the sort of long-standing problems with the sort of those racial analogs 
and the way that they yeah. work in that world versus the way that they feel and how they feel that are adapted uh, from our world, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There's, I, I wonder, um, something I always, there, there's kind of the middle ground that, that you spoke about, Mark. There's the like completely invented world, um, the real, our real world with X. And then there's ones that like take those completely invented stereotypes or not stereotypes, the, those um, archetypes of like Lord of the Rings being kind of the, the blanket for like, high fantasy sort Mm -hmm. of um and make twists on that um and then that's where they bring in some of like the real world elements like i'm thinking of dragon age specifically Mm. and how instead of like mages being like lauded and powerful in dragon age they're like we're gonna flip that and everyone's gonna be afraid of them and they're going to be locked up Mm -hmm. um and also they do the same thing with elves and i don't know i wish i knew a little more what like the what kind of criticism existed around it because it was kind of the same deal elves instead of being um like immortal and lauded and beautiful are kind of like the victims clearly the victims of some kind of colonization um and have like lost a lot of their history because of humans um which is interesting that was just that was just me talking about dragon age (laughs) (laughs) clip clip that i don't know this this has been No, well, I, I think that, like, I those points are important, too, because, like, that is an aspect of world building that I think doesn't get talked about. Like, um, Mark, you brought up uh, um, Spider-Man, Miles Morales, mm-hmm. um, and, like, how, you know, you play as Miles Morales, and he is a, a mixed-race kid. Um, and I, from what I've read, I also have not played this game, but from what I've read, um, it doesn't do a lot, like, Miles isn't being discriminated against, whereas in the real world, he might be. Well, mm-hmm. might be. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I will say there's yeah. something interesting about that that I noticed, and I haven't played far sure. into it. But um, yeah, one of the things about superheroes that I think it's like a little detail. It's one of those nitpicky details that has it has it has a big implication that I don't think a lot of people talk about. Is yeah. like the um, there's like the Zorro mask, right? The sort of the domino mask that covers your eyes, and like uh-huh. that yeah. is the sort of yeah. quintessential original superhero disguise. But yep. that was created in a world where we just imagined everybody would be white. At, because mm-hmm. you know, because you don't disguise your whiteness, but in a in a multicultural world, that's an identifying component of yourself, uh, um, yeah. your race, and in in yeah. a way that that didn't think the people who designed these fictions didn't feel that way. So when you yeah. see superheroes mm-hmm. with that are not wearing gloves or not or or have like exposed arms, like and they have secret identities, you kind of have to yeah. wonder now: does is that a practical, logical thing anymore? And in 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 Spider Man. There's a there's a storyline about how Miles is the second Spider-Man, and, and there's a, there's a, it's almost a comedy runner where people say like, oh you're the you're the substitute Spider-Man. All right, I guess you can help me. Like they kind of make yeah. fun of him. You're like, oh you're the you're the the other Spider-Man. When's the real Spider-Man coming back? Right? And it's kind yeah, of a, it's yeah. kind of a gag. But then also, there are parts where uh, Miles's suit gets torn, and you can tell that he is a dark-skinned person, and yeah. and 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 maybe you'd even identify that from his voice and. But there's no nobody treats him on that dimension in a way that I think it, even in multicultural New York, I would think there might be some effort to, you know, there might be some reaction to that. Like you might yeah. have some people say, yeah. like, uh, whether they assumed Peter Parker or the, whoever the, the whoever real Spider-Man is, is white or not. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I, I was actually kind of surprised because the game does make an effort to make his identity um, as a, a, a mixed raced um a kid in new york you know yeah. uh, going from brooklyn to to harlem and like 
all, not just like, you know, the, uh, uh, the racial component, but like cultural, even within New York, like that is, that is a big part of the story in, in its flavor. And so I was kind of yeah. surprised actually that yeah. it, because of that, that idea about the other Spider-Man that it didn't, but I, I don't know, how would you approach it? It's kind yeah. of a sensitive topic because I it hasn't been talked about a lot. One thing to their credit is like Insomniac seems to have realized from what I've read that Miles can't have the same relationship with the police as Peter Parker did. But mm-hmm. also um, like so it's kind of pivoted away from uh, Spider-Man's relationship with police f- compared to old games. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the police are also only ever interacting, I think, with Miles while he's in full Spider-Man get up and you can't see any of his skin. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also uh Miles's father is a cop and that's part that's taken from the comics. And so that dimension mm-hmm. is kind of strange. I, I think people have some difficulty with that. But I uh, think that I I mean I might be wrong about this, but I've read that it's not taken from the comics. I don't think that he was a cop in the comics. Oh is that not the case? Maybe I'm I uh, think so. Yeah. I know it is he is in, in the movie the, too. Yeah, yeah. Maybe but, maybe it's inspired by that then. Um, yeah. But um uh, but more than that, I think that, that there's a there is a, another Polygon article about that that change relationship. And from the game, the amount of game I've played so far, it's mostly that they're just not talking about it anymore. It's not. Yeah, he doesn't. He's not on the radio with Yuri, the cop from the, the earlier game. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But but I don't think it goes far enough for that. But also, like, that's a question of like, you know, if you're an artist telling a story, you get to decide what you feel about that. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. is, you know, just because he's, you know, a mixed race kid doesn't mean he couldn't have that relationship with the cops. Other than people might be mad about that, but like well, as an art, if, as a storyteller, you get to decide if you want that to be. And so I'm a little worried that ultimately what it's going to be is them just trying to back away from the issue rather than address yeah. it. And uh, so far, that's what it seems like, and that's kind of disappointing. Uh, I mean, you can't have yeah. everything, right? I think the game does a really good job in a lot of ways. But this is the thing that makes world building interesting: is like you, you know, it's not just about a cool place where cool things happen, or it's it's about what it means for the story you're telling. And that's the thing that you need to do is have a connection between the story you want to tell and the world it takes place in. And, um, and ultimately, and we've talked about these examples, like you're not going to get it right. Like there's going to be, yeah. And I think that's when you are trying to uh, create a fictional place, uh, you do become kind of obsessed with all the details, making sure it all hangs together. And that's important. But ultimately what ends up being more valuable is how it relates with the story you're telling. And, and that is a harder, harder lift. And I think it's okay if you can't lift it all the way. But I, uh, Stephen, just like you're saying uh, about fail states, uh, games don't try hard enough. I feel the same way about this. I don't think, I think people are just much more invested in cool worlds than they are in, in uh, using those things to tell specific stories that can only be told yeah. in those worlds, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, I mean. Not an easy thing to do. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, that gives I, me like good like tummy tingles though. I'm like, oh, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> imagine that the story that could be told in one of these worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, cool. uh, the, you know, we talk about a lot of big franchises because those are the ones, the easy ready, ready examples we have. And those are worlds that were built long ago and then new stories get told in them. And so that is something. So you, you, aren't, you aren't always doing the initial world building yourself. But it's uh, depending on the story you want to tell. Like, how do you tell it in that world? Do you is it is it a, a twist on it? Is it a subversion? Is it a, a deconstruction? Like, these are all options mm-hmm. you have. Um, and in video games, especially you know, like you know, our audience I assume is mostly indie developers. Um, you know, we don't have a lot of we can't do a, a lot of five minute cutscenes in our games. We could <laughs> we can maybe budget yeah. one or two for the beginning and end of the thing. And then, mm. you know, we have we have uh, lore drops and we have uh, environmental storytelling. We have a lot of tools at our disposal. 
Um, and certainly I don't mean to say that we can't do more than that. It's just that we don't often do more than that um, yeah, right. because of the scopes of our games. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't put the effort into building entire worlds. It doesn't make it honestly doesn't make the job an iota easier, frankly. Uh, it just means that there's slightly less of it to do, if that makes sense. <sighs> <laughs> Those are just like my like English major feelings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go read a book. <laughs> let's, let's all go read a book. <laughs> Or play video game. <laughs> That's also fine. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Speaking of video games. <laughs> yep. Right back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, Holly, thanks so much for joining us and providing us with an oh, excellent cool down me. for the show. Uh, <laughs> no problemo. And uh, what's this? We're going to have you next week as well uh, for our next episode. Is that right? I can't believe it, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, the hard thing is I can like answer those questions in a natural way, and I just don't choose to. And I should look <laughs> inward and see what that <laughs> what that means. <laughs> what are you hiding? <laughs> well, listener, if you want to know if she's made any progress on that, tune in next week uh, when Holly joins <laughs> us again. <laughs> That's our show. Check out our newly revamped website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and on our programming in general. Go to nicegames.club feedback and tell us what you think. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and dogs on mushrooms. Or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Want to support the show? There are so many ways! Give us a review on your favorite podcast app, tell your friends about your favorite episodes, and now we're on Patreon. As a patron of the show, you'll enjoy bonus content, extra jokes, and more. Sign up at patreon.com slash Club. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. We did it. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.